Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. And this is Paul. Welcome to another very exciting episode of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. Well, is it going to be exciting this week, Aaron? Oh, it's going to be exciting. It's super exciting for a number of reasons. However, we're going to start out on a downer, Paul. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I probably didn't set that up all that well. <laughs> uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, uh, or Le Guin, I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name. Uh, noted science fiction and fantasy writer uh, with decades and decades of writing to her credit, uh, passed away just this week. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've read anything of hers, Paul, but uh, she wrote a, a, a novel year like 1970-ish uh, called The Lathe of Heaven. And it's about a guy who who his dreams become reality. And so he starts embarking on um, lucid dreaming so he can kind of control what his dreams are. And it's just it's a fantastic exploration of utopia and dystopia and, uh, you know, just how terrible human beings are to one another. Uh, it, it's, it's a great ingenious sort of book. And it's what got me started on reading, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's, uh, novels. And she's just fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to see her go. Sorry to see her go. She has certainly left an indelible mark on the genre. And I saw on Twitter, like every science fiction writer, uh, you know, praising her, uh, over the last day or so. You know, I, I don't know that I've actually read any of her work, but I am familiar with it. I'm familiar with Earthsea, obviously, uh, that probably and being I, one of her major things. And I've actually never read Earthsea. It's it's her other, you know, like, uh, Lathe of Heaven was, was serialized, I believe, in Weird Tales, you know? Okay. Yeah. And so it's those kinds of stories of hers that I've read, you know, a lot of her, uh, her just kind of one-off sort of things. I've never read any of her series. Hmm. But well, I, it, it is a shame, you know, when, when we lose... What few prolific science fiction or fantasy writers we actually have left, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Particularly those folks who, you know, I don't know that you would characterize her as hard science fiction, like an Arthur C. Clarke or a Robert Heinlein, uh, you know, one of those guys who, who's really into the science of it. But her books were really about big ideas, mm -hmm. right? Uh and and that's that was one of the things that I really liked about her books is 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 the bigness of the idea exploring well if this is a fact how do people respond to it um, and you don't see a lot of that kind of science fiction writing anymore yeah. so yeah I I I, I, I mourn her loss uh, you know terrific uh, terrific talent and I really again left an indelible mark on the genre. Hmm. Well, you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that. Have you uh, checked out the new Amazon series, the uh, Do Androids Dream? I think that's what it's called. Uh, I I have not. Like uh, Amazon Prime series, like on on the on the televisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, I have not. So, um, you know, it's it's based on the work of Philip Philip K. Dick. Um, uh-huh. You know, and do androids dream of electric sheep? Um, and so, as far as I know, it is much like a like a Black Mirror type yeah. uh, thing, where it's science fiction, kind of science anthology. fiction episodes. Yeah, anthology yeah. series. And I, I believe that's the name of the series. And I, I feel kind of dumb, um, <laughs> not, not not recalling the uh, the name of the show. But I, I do believe that's uh, and that's what it's called. And it is um, one of the producers on it is the guy from Breaking Bad, Brian. Oh, uh, uh, shit! I should know that. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that guy. We, you know, we, you yeah. know. Walter White. I, Walter Brian, White. Brian uh, Cranston. Yeah. Thank you. I was thinking Brian Bonsall. No, that's Star Trek. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not Brian Bostwick either. Yeah. Um, yeah but uh, he, he's one of the uh, the producers on the show. I'm sorry. It is Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. No, I, 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 I'm not familiar with it at all. Yeah. So it is on Amazon Prime. I've heard good things about it. So I'm, I might have to check it out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I will definitely check that out. Well, well, you know, we're, we're missing Ursula. You know, she she's left us, and and as is tradition here at Star Trek with Aaron and Polly, we are prepared to pour one out for our our fallen our our our, our fallen idols, right, whoa, Paul? Whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> what, Paul? <laughs> I don't know that I'm gonna pour this beer out. I mean, pour it out in my mouth, <laughs> but we can certainly <laughs> toast to the memory of Ursula Le Guin. That's what we'll do. So uh, Paul and I uh, are both uh, going to be pouring a bottle of the Star Trek The Next Generation Captain's Holiday, a beer from Schmaltz Brewing uh, through the Federation of Beer. And uh, so I'm going to crack mine open right now. And Paul, I'd like to point out I am opening my bottle of Captain's Holiday with my USS Enterprise NCC 1701 bottle opener. Okay, I am poured, Paul. All right. Well, I don't have a Star Trek-themed bottle opener. I only have Star Wars-themed bottle openers or a Silver Surfer bottle opener. Um, <laughs> and I didn't think it was appropriate to open it up with my uh, Star Trek pizza cutter. So I'm just using generic bottle opener to open mine. I, I guess that's the way to go. And uh, and sadly, I also didn't bring a glass, so I'm just going to drink it out of the bottle like a like oh. a savage. See, I also brought my Quark's Bar pint glass. Ah, yes, that we picked up at yeah. Star Trek uh, oh. Mission New York. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, I am all kitted out here. I'm also wearing my uh, Dabo Girl outfit tonight, Paul. So, uh, I am, oh, so that'll, that'll clearly be in the show art. <laughs> clearly, clearly. Um, so before so, uh, we, we take a sip of this, uh, Aaron mentioned Schmaltz Brewing Company. They are out of Clifton Park, New York. Um, they they are. They, this is n- one of many beers that they've done Star Trek themed uh, in conjunction with the Federation of Beer. And this Captain's Holiday celebrates 30 years of Star Trek The Next Generation. It was released late last year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you are anything like me, you don't live anywhere close to where uh, Schmaltz Brewing uh, distributes. And so I got my, I got, uh, 12 bottles through craftshack.com. They will actually send you beer anywhere in the continental United States, maybe even beyond. But that's how I was able to get mine. Cause I could not locate, uh, uh the captain's holiday anywhere in Texas. 
Yeah, nor could I here in Virginia. And Schmaltz Brewing Company actually just recently started distributing to Virginia, mm-hmm. um, but they they don't distribute their Star Trek beers yet. Um, but I do believe that you can still get some of this beer. CraftShack.com, the only drawback of ordering from them, and it's not necessarily a drawback, is that, like Aaron said, you actually, you, you can't just order a four-pack or a six-pack. Right. You, you have to order um, a rather large, and it doesn't, you know, there is shipping um, that that couldn't be incorporated depending on the cost of your order. So, uh, you know, make sure that you either uh, are definitely going to drink the beer or have backups, uh, um, you know, to give it as gifts, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I will say, you know, it, it was certainly more than a 12 pack of beer would have cost me at the grocery store, but shipping was baked into the price. And so, you know, it wasn't awful. Um, and, you know, it got here all in one piece. So I, I was excited about that. Yeah, so um, this is, uh, let's see, it says it is just a, an ale brewed with natural citrus flavors, uh, malts, uh, two-row, Red X, Victory, and Flaked Oats, hops, citra, and amarillo. Um, so I guess we go ahead and uh, give it a, a taste here. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Oh, yeah. So a lot of citrus on that. Yeah, so I think that comes from the citra hops. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's citrusy and hoppy. Right, it's yeah. definitely hoppy. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I like it. I, I, I do. I, I've only had one sip, but um, <laughs> it, it's. I, I'm not the biggest IPA guy. Uh, mm-hmm. it, when the IPA tastes like dirt, you know, because some, some, I, some of these, some hops, um, like Cascade hops and things like that, certainly have more of a like a dirt flavor to them. Uh, but the Citra hops and the Amarillo hops are a bit more citrusy. So I, I like it. It's, it's not, it's not offensively hoppy. No, I, I agree. And it is, uh, you know, it is uh, sparkly and, uh, you know, it's a it's a nice sort of uh, orangey yellow, uh, you know, uh, very attractive in the glass. I will say now I gave this a rather gentle pour, uh, but not much head retention at all. Hmm. I don't know how that's working on your end, but not much head retention at all. Oh, I can retain some head. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you can, Paul. I know that you can. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's very nice, very refreshing. Um, it's certainly a lighter uh, beer in taste. Uh, you know, something that uh, would be good after working in the yard. Um, you know, not necessarily the the kind of beer for for a dark winter's night. It's not something that's going to stick to your bones and keep you warm. No, no, it's certainly not that. It, it's it's this is a spring or fall beer. Yeah, I would, I would say it's certainly not. It's not. Um, Something that's going to warm you up in the winter. It's not something that's crisp and refreshing in the summer. Um, but in those in-betweens, those 50, 60 degree days, I think this is a, this is good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very tasty. I have a thumbs up. I, yeah. I would drink this again. I was actually, you know, I was a little surprised when I saw Captain's Holiday. And I, I didn't become aware of this beer probably until late November, early December. Um, I, uh, I just assumed that it was going to be like a holiday spiced beer. But uh, no, it is it is absolutely not. Now the 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 branding on it's rather hysterical. It is a tribute to the episode of Star Trek where uh, Picard goes to Risa, and so you have the Horgon uh, featured prominently on the label. And I am always a fan of the Horgon because uh, that means that you are all up for Jahamaran, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Are, are you up for Jahamarang, Aaron? Oh, you know that I am. Well, <laughs> you even dressed appropriately for it. 
That's why I've got the Dabo girl outfit on, Paul. Right. Now, before, you know, since we're talking about this, uh huh. since we're talking about weird, sexy things, can I just say <laughs> that it's a little upsetting that at the beginning of every Star Trek Discovery episode, in the previously on Star Trek Discovery um, clips... Oh. They the show the Vox yes. sex scene. Yeah. Why do they the keep Klingon showing boobs? the damn sex scene? <laughs> they spent a lot of money on those Klingon boobs, Paul. They're going to get their money's worth out of them. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I'm like, why do I need to see this every episode? <laughs> you need to see it every episode, Paul. No, I certainly every don't. Um, so this week's Star Trek Discovery is uh, named vaulting ambition uh you know uh as we discovered at the end of last episode uh Giorgio is the emperor in the mirror universe and um we, we we get a lot more explanation of her relationship with the michael burnham of this universe as well as tons i mean there's so much happened in this episode aaron and it's only 38 minutes long and it's a short ass episode yes you know i loaded it up um i watched it on my computer just because it was uh convenient at the time, and so when I it loaded up, it showed you know the full length of the episode, and I saw it was like thirty eight minutes and fifty something seconds, and I'm like, what? Yeah. What is this shenanigans? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But still, a very packed episode for thirty eight minutes. Yeah, and I gotta say, I mean, I, I have heard other people talk about how well, not a whole lot happens in the episode. There's not a lot of action or anything. I thought this episode was full of very interesting things. And let me tell you, I was really on the edge of my seat throughout the episode. I, I, I liked this episode a great deal here. I'll go ahead and say that. And, uh, I, we found out lots of really cool things. And the amazing thing is, is that this wasn't the season ender. We've still got what? Three more episodes to go. Three more episodes, but it, it yeah. certainly felt like a penultimate episode. It did. I mean, it, it, it makes me wonder how we're going to fill up three more episodes. Because damn, uh, so much happened in this episode. Well, so go ahead. So yeah. go ahead. No, you go. You go, Paul. No, no, I want you to go. <laughs> so you know, we open up the episode, and uh, Michael Burnham and Lorca are on their way to the Imperial Palace because Giorgio needs to have a stern talking to Michael Burnham because Michael Burnham did not kill all those alien rebels, that Rebel Alliance, and you know, Paul. Rebellions are born on hope. Um, wrong, wrong podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, she didn't shoot them all down like she was supposed to. So, you know, the, the, the emperor calls her back to the to the imperial palace to receive a strong dr dressing down. And so she's taken Lorca with her. And, uh, you know, we the, the, the plan here is that we couldn't get all the defiant information that we needed off of uh, the files that they were able to retrieve. Um, you know, the, the, keep in mind that USS Defiant is the ship that came over from the Prime Universe. Uh, we, we talked all about that in the last episode. Um, but there was so much redacted from those data files that they, they their, their big hope now is maybe we can get those files, the unredacted files, there at the Imperial Palace. So the Imperial Palace is apparently this gigantic spaceship citadel thing. And that's where they're going. Uh, fortunately, you know, they need to go there anyway. So it's great that they'll get to meet the Mirror Universe, uh, Giorgio. And of course, that will be fun and exciting. Right, Paul? Oh, it goes off without a hitch. 
Oh, yeah, without a hitch. I mean, you know, you love it when a plan comes together. So, you know, Lorca gets to uh, go back down. You know, he, he got to spend time in the uh, Shinzu agonizer booth. Now he gets to spend time in the, you know, Imperial Citadel, Imperial uh, Palace uh, agonizer booth. He's getting to see all the finest agonizer booths. I, I, I would love to see what his Yelp review is on all of these various <laughs> agonizer booths. Well, he's going to add them all to his resume. <laughs> Under other skills. <laughs> Under LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A- A- Agony booth tester. And you can just put a little check next to that skill, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you can list all the various types. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, they get there. And this is this is perhaps my second favorite scene in the episode. Because Giorgio is hailing... Uh, uh, Burnham for having, you know, retrieved Lorca, you know, the traitorous Lorca. And she then says, she points over to these three Kelpians standing at the, at the foot of her throne and says, choose, choose one. And she's okay, I'll take that one. So she chooses one of the random Kelpians. And, uh, you know, you assume, Paul, that that's going to be her new slave, right? She's got a slave back on the Shinzu, with uh, you know the 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 mirror universe Saru is her slave on the Shinzu. You just expect she's now she's got two Kelpian slaves. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah, but we then have dinner, and it turns out nobody makes better Kelpian than the Starfleet chefs. You gotta love that delicious, <laughs> delicious Kelpian. Here, Paul, have my ganglia. It's a delicacy. <laughs> It is. It is. It's. It's quite delicious. I think we should you, put a recipe recipe for Kelpian well, in our in our show notes. Paul, have I never served for you my Kelpian bone butter? No, I don't believe you have. Oh my God, Paul! It is such a good recipe. It's my regionally acclaimed Kelpian bone butter. In fact, you know, all you need are you know six to eight Kelpian marrow bones cut short, no longer than two inches tall. Um, half a cup of butter cut into one inch cubes and softened. Now, the higher quality butter you can get, the better. Like for instance, uh, on a regular day, I'm using Irish butter because you can get that at the grocery store. But uh, if you can get it, I highly recommend crodling crodling butter from Crazy Grady's Crottled Grapes. Because just remember, if it's not Crazy Grady's Crottled Grapes, well, you're just eating grapes. Anyway, the full recipe will be in the show notes today. You got to check it out. It, it is delicious. It's great on a bagel, great on a muffin. It's great on just about anything. I like it. I like it. I will have to try it out myself. Kelpian bone butter, Paul. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so, and so that was your second favorite scene though. Well, my that my my second favorite scene was the revelation of the uh, you know of, of her choosing the the uh, the Kelpian. My 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 favorite scene was them eating ganglia, <laughs> and and the <laughs> the scene of Michael Burnham about blowing chunks all over the table because she's eating an intelligent being, uh, you know, somebody that she's actually not friends with but has a grudging respect for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a great scene. It was. It was, it was a great, a great scene. scene. There were a number of great scenes in this episode. In fact, this is Absolutely. probably one of the strongest episodes of the season. Um, so many revelations. You know, we we have Stamets. Um, you know, working in the mirror universe and meeting his his husband. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, Dr. and at Culver. first you're get, 
Yeah, at first you're given to believe that Culber is perhaps a manifestation of his own memory, but I'm fairly well convinced that no, that's Culber's spirit. That, you know, it's the ghost of Culber. I'm still unconvinced. I don't think it's a manifestation of Stamets' mind. I think it might be the um what is the uh, what's the name of the those beings? The 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 the, the Pavans? No, the, the 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 things that he's interacting with in, in oh the spores yeah the spores yeah okay there there's a word for him but I, I think I think it might be a manifestation of the spores using his the, using his the, memory like it did of think, the ship you're thinking of the mycelial network yes I think it's the mycelial no. network using... no it's a ghost Paul no. oh Paul Stamets I love you no I think it's the 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 microcelial network. Just like it created a, re- a representation of the discovery, because it was familiar to him, I think it created a, a um, you know, a manifestation of Culber because it would be something he would be comfortable with. But Stamets has come out of his coma um, as a result of it in this episode, under- and, and with the understanding that the the microcelial network is decaying. You know, they, they they may at the end of the season no longer have the ability to jump, you know, from place to place using that microcelial network. Yeah, you know, the uh, it, it looks like things have gotten a little a, a little sketchy in terms of being able to spore jump back home. But of course, Paul, you know, there's always the ISS Charon with the big star in the center of its saucer section. Well, there is that. You know, so I, I am I am convinced that one of two things is going to happen there. One, we'll use that technology to to move along or that's going to blow up. It seems poised for blowing up. Maybe both. <laughs> Maybe both. Maybe both. But yeah, you know, uh, both uh, both our prime Paul Stamets and mirror Paul Stamets are both awake. And uh, one is is over there on the Charon and one is over there on the uh, Discovery. What's going to happen next? Who can say? But fortunately, Michael Burnham and Captain Lorca are in control of things Back at the Imperial Palace, Paul. Well, actually. What do you mean? What do you mean, actually? Well, Lorca, you know, he's <laughs> he's kind of a bad guy. <laughs> um, so it was revealed finally in this episode, and confirming rumors and fan theories, including on this show, mm-hmm. that that Lorca originated from the Mirror Universe. That is the Mirror Universe Lorca that actually, you know, seduced and killed the Mirror Universe Burnham. Well, as far as we know, we don't know that Burnham's dead. True, true. We don't know that Mirror Burnham is dead. But we do know that him and Burnham had plotted to kill that the Emperor, Giorgio, um, at some point. And, you know, Lorca, I don't know, somehow found his way into the Prime Universe. Well, we also know, it's also important to note that uh, Captain Lorca must have put out his... Uh, his horgon out there because he was practicing the Jamaharong with uh, with none other than Mirror Michael Burnham. And you know when Georgiou throws that out there that you know there's a little bit more going on there than uh, uh, you know daughter and stepfather going on between the two of them. Uh, the look of disgust was yeah. almost as much as when she ate the ganglia. It, <laughs> the idea of 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 of, of sexing uh, Captain Lorca almost made her gag as hard as eating the ganglia. Just saying. Sorry, it's it's nothing personal. She just doesn't see you that way. Rejection a little hard. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, you know, it, it is revealed that Lorca has been planning this this whole time to get back to the mirror universe, but, to, to infiltrate the Empire. Yeah, it does make sense, though. I mean, from the jump, when uh, Burnham was traveling, you know, across space in the, in the shuttle at the very, uh, what, the third episode of the show, where she was being transferred from one jail to another jail... Um, and they run into that sp- that spatial anomaly, and the pilot dies, and she and her her fellow prisoners are rescued by Discovery. It just all seemed a little too constructed, right? I mean that that somebody was there close by to be able to help, and would be so willing and interested in Michael Burnham to ha- to have them continue to be on the ship when she is otherwise regarded as a pariah in Starfleet. So that makes absolute sense that Lorca would position himself there. And I think it also makes sense because one of the things that I was having trouble with is that we had not established – we had certainly established that Lorca was the captain of a ship of scientists, right? But yes. that not that he not that he was a scientist himself and for him to have all of this knowledge about alternate realities seemed a little weird. And I suspect that he was schooled in the spore drive by mirror universe Stamets. And when, for whatever reason, he came over into the prime universe, he sought out the prime Stamets and encouraged that research. That's my my thinking on that. It's not stated in the show, but that's my thinking on it, that he assembled this crew so that he could perfect the technology and then return to the mirror universe. And I suspect he had to return early, that he was not expecting to come back as soon as he did. Uh, and that's why, you know, but he did because they were returning him to Starbase and he feared that his command would be removed from him. So that's why he jumped them back uh, into the mirror universe. Well, you know, so the question is, what happened to the prime universe, Lorca? Oh, yeah. Well, and what in the world is mirror universe discovery doing over in the prime universe right now? Very true. I and, mean, that, oh, go ahead. Well, and what happened to, I mean, what happened to Prime Universe Lorca? What happened to Mirror Universe Michael Burnham? I mean, there's a lot of questions there. Well, and we have three episodes to figure it out. But what we do see in this episode is that Vok and Tyler are actually vying for control of the same body. And it appears that at the end of this episode, Tyler has taken control. Well, not not taken control, been given control, right? Been given control, yes. Like, they, they, they have burned the Vok. (laughs) <laughs> they burn the vodka <laughs> out of him. Yeah, because, you know, Laurel puts on her uh, her magic surgery gloves and, uh, you know, does a little surgery at gunpoint to uh, fix Ash. You know, she wasn't she was not going to help because, you know, she thought Vok would wrestle his way to the surface. But that appeared not to be the case. And, you know, she, they, they demonstrated to her how much, how much, uh, he was suffering yeah. and, you know, hearing about him suffering didn't seem to bother her, but actually, you know, seeing him suffer, have him, you know, wilt in, in her arms, uh, put her over the edge. And, you know, it, she, she does this thing when you're given to believe that she has either burned the Vok out of him or suppressed the Vok, you know, yeah. perhaps, uh, irretrievably. And she cries out, and I, you know, I, I know some people have interpreted it as her howl of grief. I think she was howling, uh, uh, announcing the 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 soul of a Klingon warrior going to Stovokor. That's how I interpreted that scene. 
Hmm. But, you could be but you know, there have been other scenes on the show where, where Klingons have died and they've not done that. Um, so anyway, I, I, that was how I interpreted that. Um, so I, I suspect we've got, you know, a, a dominant Ash personality and what is otherwise a Klingon's body, even though it doesn't look like one. I, I think you are right. Yeah. I, I certainly think that's what we're going to see. And, you know, it's probably a way they can keep Tyler on the show. I think we may see the real commander or Captain Lorca at some point, or the prime universe, I should say. They're both real. Yeah. Um, but so, but all that happens in this episode, on top of that, Burnham reveals to Emperor Georgiou that she's from the prime universe. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and, and they team up, kind of. And, yeah, and Georgiou's down with that. Yeah, I'll help you get back. You just got to give me some information about that spore drive so I can come and invade your universe later on. Yep. But yeah, you know, that, as we know, that not, spore drive is not going to be working. Well, that's not concerning at all. That's all I have to say. So what do you think Stamets, Mirror Stamets did to the did to the mycelial network that made it all go rotten? You know, it's a good question. Um, I think uh, I think it's just that he's rotten to the core, maybe. Maybe he has just infected <laughs> it with his evilness. Evilness. I do think that, that they are setting up that the spore drive will no longer be um, a viable option in the future. You know, the, the, everyone's wondering, like, well, why didn't they use this in other series? Well, yeah. I think we're going to find out that, you know, the technology is no longer viable because they destroyed the mycelial network. They, they, they leave the mirror universe and burn the bridge on the way out. I think is what we're going to see. Yeah, you could be right. You could be right. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I thought this was a fantastic episode. And once again, the directing was on point. Yeah, agreed. I, there is such a break in the quality of the shows in the first half of the season versus the back half of the season. Um, I, I can't get over the difference in quality. Oh, yeah. It is that just consistently good now. Um, it, it is crazy that, you know, I, I always tell myself that, you know, when people are like, oh, you have to give something till season two, like. Um, Game of Thrones. It gets better on season two, or you know, you just got to get past the first six episodes. And it's like, in what? And I, my response is always the same. In what scenario am I gonna? In what other scenario am I gonna give something six hours of my life right. before it gets good? Well, I guess this is that scenario <laughs> um, because it's not like the first half of the season was bad, but it was, you know. But I think the the only reason I continued to watch it was because it was Star Trek. And I had faith that it would turn around. Had this been, you know, um, Stargate or something, yeah. and not to, not to harsh on Stargate because I know it has its fans, but had it been a show like that that I don't necessarily have an investment in, um, I don't think I would have continued with it. I think I did because it's Star Trek, and I'm glad I did because it has gotten so much better. Yeah, I mean, just it, unrecognizably better. I still have some issues. Right. So, you know, one of my issues is it doesn't seem like there's a real staff on Discovery. You know, it seems like you've only got a couple of people ever on Discovery. Where the hell's the 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 the, uh, the medical team on Discovery? Yeah, I agree. Um, it certainly it certainly seems bare bones. Um, and we yeah. mentioned that from the very beginning, that it seems like right. there's only three people on the ship that they care about. Right. Um, and, and so, yes, I share that concern. But one thing I will say was that Saru. Was, was actually competent. Yeah, yes. he was actually. Yeah, no, I he 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 performed up right. Yeah, you know, he, he stepped he, up. He rocked it in this episode. Yeah, I, I he was he, he was having meaningful conversations with people. At no point, you know, did he let fear overcome him. And I was 
I thought that his response to the Ash situation was exactly what it needed to be. It was completely believable that he was able to turn Laurel to his argument the way he managed that. Uh, and so big thumbs up is the first time Saru's done something that I thought was credible and worthy of a Starfleet officer. Agreed. You know, because he's, he's either been such a wuss or an outright traitor. <laughs> I mean, there certainly had it not been a captain such as Lorca running the show, he'd have been in the brig. You know, he, he'd be in the brig right now. <laughs> you know, if Giorgio was captain, he'd be in the brig. Because that shit he pulled on Pava, not oh, cool. Oh, yeah. F that guy. Yeah, not cool. Not cool. But yeah, I mean, you know, one of my big concerns is I really like Lorca. I do, too. And I and I think that's the point. You've, we've grown to like him. But, yeah. you know, are we going to... Is he... Here's the thing. The the preview for the next episode certainly makes him seem like he's going like, yes, this is a heel turn, but it seems like he's going to be bad, period. Right. Yeah. But is that really going to be the case or is he actually going to be, you know, like, will there be redeeming qualities that he won't necessarily he'll he'll be able to continue into the next season in some capacity? Or is this, you know, is Captain Lorca basically a one season one season guy because he's a bad guy and they're going to find a way to resolve that storyline. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. curious to see what happens because I, I certainly do appreciate that character. Yeah, no, I like him a lot. I like him a whole lot. He may be my favorite character on the show. Yeah, he, he certainly you know? was complex. And so I, yeah. I, I'm hopeful that they, they don't lose his character. Uh, Jason Isaacs is just a, a great actor to begin with, and he's done a great job with the role. So what do you think about uh, Sonequa Martin-Green being typecast? Because, you know, she, well, you know, in Walking Dead, she turns into a zombie and eats people. Over here on Star Trek Discovery, she eats people. I mean, apparently that's the only character she can play now is somebody who eats people. Well, I think we we, we can all admit that That Kelpians are delicious. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they're not people. Yeah, Yeah, well, and and Kelpians are delicious. They are. I mean, can you blame her? they are truly helpful. You know, they'll, they'll help you get your shit and take care of your morning ablutions. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They will, they will, you know, tear the Klingon spy off of you when he's trying to choke you out. And then they are delicious for dinner. Bam. Useful. I mean, yeah. Totally I, you know, useful. Kelpians may be my favorite. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, before we wrap up, I want to mention that um, on shop.startrek.com, now, I I had mentioned a while back that I picked up the disco shirt that uh, Burnham and Tilly were wearing in one of the episodes uh, while they were going for for a run around the ship. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was a very popular item. People really dug it. I bought it. I wear it when I work out just because, like... Like, even though it's a regular T-shirt, I'm like, well, they wore it while they worked out, so I'm going to wear it while I work out. Um, so they also they, so on that uh, website, shop.startrek.com, they've released a ton, ton of new Discovery-themed merchandise, um, stuff uh, based on the, uh, the ISS, property of ISS, uh, Long Live the Empire, Son of None. These are shirts, hoodies. Um, long sleeve shirts. There's a Discovery Disco uh, long sleeve T-shirt. Um, they, as far as I can tell, they don't have a Disco hoodie yet, which I would get. They have uh, lightweight pullovers. They've got um, thermal bottles, uh, just a, a ton of stuff. Pillows. But uh, certainly check out shop.startrek.com. No, we do not get free stuff from them. But if they are listening, <laughs> we would like to. 
What what about uh, some uh, ISS? Uh, what about some you know imperial chopsticks, Paul? Uh, no the, chopsticks yet. For the delicious eating of ganglia. No, no ganglia chopsticks yet. But you know, <laughs> with enough demand, perhaps they can make it happen. Mm. Well, Paul, I'm out of beer. Oh well, good job. Yeah, this was a tasty beverage. It was. And since we're out of beer. What we're going to do is we're going to wrap up this episode and let you know that we will be back next week to talk about the 13th episode of Star Trek Discovery, What's Past is Prologue, as well as Star Trek Discovery Issue 2 from IDW. Yeah, that's very exciting. Just came out today, but we haven't had a chance to read it. So you can read it along with us and uh, we'll talk about it next week. And, you know, all, all kinds of new Star Trek news. You never know. There could be new Star Trek news. We'll talk about that. All right here on IOMGeek.com. Also, our 30-day Star Trek challenge continues over on the Instagrams. That's at IOMGeek. Check us out there. Or you could give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, is 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the air, you'll win a coveted, valuable ideology of madness surprise. We'll We'll catch you guys next week. Have a good one. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by... Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers. Conveniently located on the promenade. 